Well, good morning, everyone. How are we? Good. This weekend is our last weekend in our series, The Way, The Truth, and The Life, a series we started all the way back in September, and I'm really excited about this morning because I believe that this is one of the most exciting, maybe Jesus' best miracle uh, in his entire ministry. He saves the best for the last, and it can only be found in John's gospel. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out and open up to the uh, book of John, chapter 11. John 11 is where you'll find this story. And as you're turning there, I just want to start by asking a question. How many of you hate waiting for stuff? How many of you hate waiting? A lot of you, you're like, I hate waiting. I hate waiting. I don't mind waiting so much. I believe the Lord has slowly grown me in this area. But what I absolutely hate is waiting longer than I expected to wait. You know what I'm talking about? Like not just waiting for the plane to take off, but the planes on the tarmac. And you're like, why aren't we going yet? Not just waiting for your food to come out, but like 15 minutes past, 20 minutes past, 30 minutes past, and you must be at Applebee's, right? I hate waiting. And my wife can attest to this major shortcoming in my life. She has seen this dark side uh, come out in me. In fact, when we, before we were even dating, we were uh, both at Bible school in, uh, in Chicago at Moody, and I did what any kind of like Bible student guy would do trying to date a girl. I said, hey, do you want to go to church with me? And so I invited her to church and I said, hey, I'll pick you up. I had a car. I'll pick you up at 8.15 in this parking lot and I'll see you there on Sunday morning. Now, it took 30 minutes to drive to the church we went to. And so that would give us enough time to park the car, to get inside, to grab a cup of coffee, maybe to talk to a few people, kind of stroll to our seat and sort of sit down. Undeniably the best plan, Right? 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 Isn't it funny how God matches us together with people who are the exact opposite from us? Don't you find that so funny? Because I arrive at 8.15 in that parking lot, and there was no sign of Carrie. No sign. So I wait five minutes. No sign. I wait 10 minutes, and I finally call her cell phone. No one picks up. I call her room phone. No answer. And so I think to myself, did she already go to church? Did she go with some other guy? Is she just not that into me? I call her room again and again and again and again. And on the fifth time, she picks up clearly someone who has just woken up, okay? At this point, we are so late for church now. Like, it's like, do we even go to church? And so she's like, I'm so sorry. Um, I'll come down as soon as I possibly can. And so she rushes and she gets ready. And I'm sitting in my car and I'm a little frustrated at this point. I don't like to be late. I don't like waiting longer than I expected to wait. So I grab my Bible, right? I grab my Bible and I open it up and I, I highlight a verse for her to encourage her, okay? <laughs> See, so I highlight this verse and I put it on the passenger seat and she opens the passenger door and she's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. She grabs the Bible and she looks and she reads this verse, Proverbs 6, 9. I say, hey, read that out loud. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? And we were reminiscing about this story last night after I told this story to the entire church. And she said, she said, when I came into the car, I saw the Bible open and I thought, oh, how sweet. He's given me a Bible verse to encourage me on such a difficult morning. And yet for some reason, she still chose to spend the rest of her life with me in marital bliss. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that happened. Waiting is the worst though, isn't it? 
And waiting longer than we expected to wait is even worse than that. And, and, and it's so difficult when we have to wait on the Lord, isn't it? We're waiting on God to do something. You know, maybe we're waiting on God to, to, to move in some way and we're waiting on him to see his plan unfold or his will unfold in our life and we're just confused as to what he's doing. Maybe we're waiting on him to, to bring that special someone into our life and everyone around us is getting married and our friends are getting married and there's just no prospects and it's like, God, when are you gonna bring that right person along? Maybe this past year has been difficult financially and you're waiting on God to provide and you're waiting for a new job and, and, and it just doesn't seem like there's going to be resolution there and you're waiting. You know, each and every week we get prayer request after prayer request and so many of them around health issues. And maybe you've just been waiting on God to, to resolve some health thing you're going through. And it's been weeks, it's been months, it's been years, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait on the Lord, and it, and it just seems like it's, it's silence. It's silence as we wait on God. Have you ever been in that spot before? Maybe you're in that spot right now. Maybe that's the spot you find yourself in today. And you're crying out to God, and you're just like, God, if you, if you really cared, if you really loved me, I read your word and, and, and you say you love me, but if you really did, where are you? Why aren't you moving? Why are you making me wait so long? I, I just don't get it. And, and, and hopefully we are comforted by this reality as we turn our attention to John chapter 11, that, that, that I don't have to understand God's plan in order to trust his purpose. That I don't have to understand God's plan in order to trust his purpose. And, and listen, I get waiting is difficult. Waiting is hard as we wait on God to answer our prayers or to show up. Many of us, we start to question his plan. We question his plan and we wonder if he even has a plan to begin with. But what we'll see in John 11 today is even when we can't seem to figure out what God's plan might be for us, and God doesn't necessarily even want us to try to figure that out, that, that we would be able to rest knowing that his good purposes will be accomplished in our lives, even when we don't understand his plan. And so before we turn our attention to his word, let's just stop for a moment and pray. Father God, we just want to humble ourselves before you right now as we approach your word. God, we ask that you would um, humble our hearts, help us to receive your word right now. Would your spirit be moving? And would we not just be hearers of this word, but would we move forth from this place and be doers as well? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So John 11, hopefully you're there by now. Verse 1, let's go ahead and look there. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. Now, this Lazarus is different from the Lazarus from last week's story that Jesus told, just a point of clarification. And Lazarus of Bethany uh, was from the, uh, Bethany was this village of, of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And so a quick background on Mary, Martha, and Lazarus here, these three, this crew right here, they were siblings, they were brothers and sisters, and they were really close to Jesus. They were really close friends with Jesus. At one point in Jesus' ministry, when the hostility was increasing and he was uh, experiencing more and more opposition, this family brought Jesus into their home so he could find some rest and some safety. You can find that story in Luke chapter 10. And not only that, John alludes to this story where Mary anointed the feet of Jesus with very expensive perfume, very expensive oil, and wiped Jesus' feet with her hair, a very extravagant uh, act of worship, of, 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 of love. 
And so, so they were very close. These were some of Jesus' closest friends. And so it's no surprise, it's no surprise that when their brother Lazarus gets sick, they reach out to Jesus because they've got this close relationship with Jesus. They're near to him and they know what Jesus can do. And not only that, but they know that Jesus loves their brother. It's not just that Lazarus loves Jesus, but Jesus clearly loves Lazarus. Verse three, Lord, he whom you love, he whom you love is ill. And, and, and clearly this illness, this sickness was not just some sort of common cold. This was something so serious that Mary and Martha were uh, reaching out to Jesus and they were like, you need to do something about this because we don't think this is going to end well for him, which makes what happens next all the crazier. Look at verse four. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, verse 6. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes zero sense to me. Zero sense. Do you see the connection between verses 5 and 6 there? That, that little word, so right there at the beginning of verse six is so important. Uh, it is the Greek word un, which is sometimes translated as therefore. And so what John is doing here between verses five and verse six is he's showing causality. He's, he's showing that because of the truth in verse five, it, it, it's why Jesus does what he does in verse six. So because Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, because he loved them, he what? He dropped everything he was doing and went and helped them? Is that what he did? That, that's what I think it should say. That's what would make sense. But no, it says because he loved them. Because he loved them, he stayed two more days. Why? Why did Jesus do this? Here's the first thing I want us to see as we look at God's plan is this. Uh, God's plan will sometimes be painful. God's plan for us is, is sometimes going to be tremendously painful. And, and listen, it's, it's no surprise to us as to what's going to happen later in John chapter 11. Many of you are familiar with the story about Lazarus. Um, and, and if you're not and you have your Bibles open, you can see the little title at the top of John 11. It, it says the death of Lazarus. Like Jesus knows Lazarus is going to die. We know Lazarus is going to die. But Mary and Martha, at this moment in the story, they don't know. They see their brother sick. They're probably worried that he's going to die, which is why they reach out to Jesus so he would heal them. Because they think to themselves, probably, well, wouldn't this Jesus, who we've seen heal time and time again, not only want to come and heal again, but wouldn't he want to heal this person that he loves so much? Wouldn't he want to spare us from experiencing the death of our brother. Wouldn't, wouldn't he want to spare us from experiencing the pain of losing a loved one? Isn't that what he would want? So then why does he allow them to go through what they're about to go through? Why does he delay two days? Why does God allow for this pain? I think the hard truth that we have to come to terms with today is, is not only will God's plan in your life sometimes be painful, but sometimes that pain that you experience is by design. 
Sometimes the Lord is going to allow you to walk through deep valleys, through, through darkness, through hurt, through trial, and through pain because he loves you. And for a greater purpose, verse four, what Jesus makes clear in verse four, he says, it is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. On uh, Wednesday mornings, our entire team here at Harvest, we get together and we spend some time on Wednesday mornings just connecting and getting into God's word and praying together. Um, And this past Wednesday, Pastor Dave, he led our time together in God's word and he opened it up by asking this question. He asked um, people to share just at random, uh, share about times in your lives where the Lord has moved in some way and you felt close to him and he's transformed you and he's led you and story after story was, was shared by different staff members. And do you know what the common denominator in all of those stories was? The common thread woven through each and every story? It was pain. It was suffering, it was trial, it was hardship. And story after story, as as different people were sharing, some of them through tears, I mean, it was a really sweet, special moment. Um, Never did you get the sense that there was resentment or or, or bitterness or frustration or or anger, but there was just this this clear sense of, of peace that even though what I went through was so painful and so difficult, and maybe I was hurting and and frustrated and and, and angry in the moment, what I've seen now in retrospect is is God's goodness to me and his love for me in that and how he carried me through that. Have you felt that, experienced that before in your life? I I think when we're talking about other people going through it, it's a lot easier. And when we're talking about what we've went through in retrospect, that's easy too. But how often is it that we've gone through, I know, I know just by being human, that so many of you have gone through something like that before. And maybe you're not in the midst of that right now, but you can think back on a time, maybe very recently, where you went through a very painful circumstance, a really difficult season in your life, and you look back on that, and you can see God's goodness in your life through that. But how often is it that, that we go through another season and we forget what God did in that season? It's like we have this kind of amnesia about it. And, and, and we've seen God's faithfulness in the past, but the second we re-enter some sort of wilderness or hardship, we, we, we begin to cry out and we say, why God, why me? Why now, why again? I thought I learned those lessons and, 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 and we resist it and we, get, and we just get angry. The uh, writer of Hebrews quoting Proverbs says this, my son, Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. And this is important, verse six. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. Lord Jesus, the one whom you love is ill. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. If you're his child, he he loves you. And look what it says here. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God working in a broken, chaotic, fallen world 
is, is somehow able to use our seasons of pain and transform them for his glory into seasons of praise. And we might not always be able to understand the why or how he's going to do it, but listen, we've seen God's faithfulness in the past and we can trust that he's going to do it again and that we can trust his purpose, amen? Let's keep going. God's plan will sometimes be painful. Look at verse seven now. Then after he had, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going to go there again? And so the, the, the disciples are like, Jesus, what are you thinking? Why would we go down there now? You heard two days ago that, that, that Lazarus was sick. Why would we go down there? I mean, it's dangerous down there. A majority of Jesus' ministry happened in Galilee. And so he was laying low up in Galilee because he didn't want to go to Judea where Jerusalem was, the epicenter of religious authority, the epicenter of his, the opposition to who Jesus was and his ministry. And his disciples are like, why would we go down there? They just wanted to stone you. That doesn't make any sense. That's confusing. And so Jesus says this in verse nine. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And so Jesus doing no one any favors there, just totally cryptic language, probably adding to the confusion at that point with the disciples. Verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Like Jesus, it's been two days, and if he's sleeping, he, he'll wake up, and he's got two sisters, and I'm sure his sisters will wake him up. Like, it's all good, and, and so then we see John clarifies this in verse 13. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep, and so more confusion amongst the disciples. Jesus is like, oh, you know, I need to go down here and wake up Lazarus. He's, he's, he's sleeping. And, and the disciples are like, what are, you, what, are you, what are you talking about? He's, he's, he's just sleeping? You know? And then Jesus is referring to his death and more confusion and more like, what are you doing? What are you doing, Jesus? What's the plan? And so verse 14, Jesus just tells them plainly, look, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. You know, he's, like, he's probably just like so slow, like, listen, He's dead, okay? And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So finally, Jesus is like, okay, I can see how confused you guys are. Let me just put it plainly. He's dead. And then just out of left field, look at verse 16. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. What? Like what? And Jesus doesn't even dignify that with a response. Like, we're going to move on in the story. And he's just like, like face-palmed probably or something. Here's the second thing I want us to see about God's plan. It's this. Uh, God's plan can sometimes be confusing. God's plan can, can sometimes, to us, as we're walking through it, just feel so confusing. We see here that the uh, disciples were really confused about what Jesus was doing. But, but like, can we just have some grace on the disciples for a second? Like, for the entirety of Jesus' ministry, like I had said, he had, he had spent it in Galilee. And, and you know, as we were going through the, the, the healings and the miracles of Jesus, do you remember like certain stories where Jesus would do something and then he would say, hey, 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 don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone, Yeah. And it was like, why would Jesus do that? Well, he's trying to lay low. He didn't want to stir things up because he knew that he would eventually, you know, 
be killed. And so he knows at this point that this is the direction of his life. And so he finally sets his face toward Calvary at this point. And he's like, I want to go to Judea. And that confuses the disciples. But it makes sense because it's a total sea change in what Jesus was, was doing. And on top of that, what did Jesus say about the illness that Lazarus had at the very beginning? What did he say about this illness? He said it would not lead to what? To death. And, 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 yet, and yet what's happened? Lazarus died. So that's confusing as well. I, I, think, I think it makes sense why they're confused. Listen, because sometimes to us, to us, God's plan can be confusing. And sometimes the path that God is going to take us down, it's going to feel confusing to us. And we're going to be going along in life and life's going to be feeling good and it's going to be feeling great. And we're going to be walking down and the lights are going to feel like they're on. And it's just going to feel like there's order in our lives. And then out of nowhere, sometimes does it just feel like it's out of nowhere? Where like, boom, the lights go out and where there was once order, there is now chaos in our lives. You know what I'm talking about? And I think as, as human beings, um, we want a certain amount of chaos in our lives to kind of bring order to. I think that's what God's designed us for, but we can only handle so much chaos in our lives. And, and, and if we go through life and it's just wave after wave of chaos and, and darkness and confusion, that breaks us down after a while. And isn't that what this last year has just totally felt like, right? Just chaos and confusion and disorder and just, oh my gosh, I've had enough. Like, did you know that we are approaching, I think in the next week or so, our one-year anniversary of, of having to close our doors here and meet online? Did you know that's been about a year of that? That is not an anniversary I want to celebrate anytime soon, right? But it just seems like this past year, an entire year now, just wave after wave of, of chaos and, and darkness and confusion. And God, what are you doing? And why are we going through this? And what's your plan? Listen, here's the difference, though, between the chaos we experience in this world and the confusion we experience as we're following after Jesus. You see, the chaos in this world just leads to more chaos. That chaos begets chaos, and it's darkness, and it leads to death, and it leads to despair, and it leads to hopelessness. But as we follow Jesus, though we might feel confusion in the moment, he is leading us to a place where we will experience clarity at some point. If you follow Jesus and you felt confusion as you followed after him, hasn't he always come through in some way and shown you, hey, hey, here, here's, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. He always provides some degree of clarity, you know, going through chaos and whatnot. Um, the ancient writers, um, the ancient Jewish writers, uh, sometimes refer to this as the valley of the shadow of death. And the writer of Psalm 23 puts it this way in, in verse four. He writes, even though I walk, through the valley of the shadow of death. Even though I go through chaos, even though my life feels so confusing right now, I will fear no evil. Why? Uh, because I've got a good emergency fund in my bank account right now and I can weather this storm? No. Uh, because I've got a good group of friends here at church that help me through this season? No, that's not it either. Why will I fear no evil? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus is our good shepherd. Remember a couple weeks ago, we looked at John 9 and 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. 
And he is leading us and he is guiding us. And even though what we're going through right now might be so confusing and so painful, we know that Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the light of the world. And even though we might experience confusion right now, we can have hope that a moment of clarity is coming as our good shepherd is leading us through and guiding us and caring for us even though we don't understand his plan right now, we can trust his purpose, even when his plan feels confusing at times. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 17 now. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days, and so he's definitely dead, like body rotting in the tomb, dead, dead, dead. No, no doubt about it. In verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews there had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and, and she met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Remember, Mary was the one that, that anointed Jesus' feet with oil and, and wiped his feet with her hair, and yet she remains in the house. And why does she remain in the house? Well, they're mourning. And they're grieving this loss of their brother, like he's dead. And back then, um, mourning was like really serious business. Ancient Jews mourned way different than we do, way different than even ancient Greeks or ancient Romans did back then as well. Like the first week, the first seven days, you didn't go anywhere except your house or the tomb. And you just sat on the floor and you cried and you wept and you wailed and people joined you in doing that. And they would, other people would come along and just give you some food and maybe you'd eat, maybe you wouldn't. Like it was a bad, bad week. It was called Shiva. That's what they called it. Seven days of that. And then after that, you were able to kind of go out into town if you needed to. But you, you weren't supposed to adorn yourself with any fine clothing or jewelry or really get yourself ready at all. So you might go out into town, but people would see you and they'd be like, dude, you should stay home. You look terrible right now. Three weeks of that. And then beyond that, for an entire year, you would abstain from any common pleasures. And so mourning was like really serious business. And so Mary is mourning because what they're going through is real and serious and hard and painful and confusing. Look at verse 21 now. So Martha hears that Jesus is coming and she runs to Jesus and she said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You ever said something like that to God before? Lord, if you'd just been here, if you'd moved like I said you should move, if you'd done what I thought you should have done, this thing wouldn't have happened. You know, amidst the confusion and amidst the pain, can you see what else Martha is feeling here in this moment? Frustration. You ever feel that before? As God's plan unfolds, frustration. She kind of backtracks, though. Look at verse 22. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, hey, your, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I, I, I know. I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Like good doctrine, but has no idea what Jesus is about to really do. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do, Martha do you believe this? And, and she said to him, yes, Lord. 
I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Another thing that we need to be honest about as God's plan unfolds in our lives is this. God's plan will sometimes be frustrating. God's plan will sometimes be frustrating. And, and, and listen, let's, let's just remember, Martha loved Jesus and Jesus loved Martha. But, but I think it's safe to say in this moment right now that as Martha approaches Jesus, she expresses some frustration. And maybe she's not frustrated at Jesus specifically. Maybe she's just frustrated about the circumstances. But when the first words out of your mouth to your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the road are like, hey, can I tell you how to do your job a little bit better? Like when those are the first words that come out of your mouth to, 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 to the God of the universe, I think it's safe to say that you might be a little frustrated, just a little bit. And have you ever felt that toward the Lord uh, about things you're going through as you've kind of sat there, you know, by yourself processing what God is doing and, and then the plan that's unfolding is painful and confusing and you're like, God, why am I going through this? And, and, it, it, and, and we start to express some frustration. You ever done that? I, I, I know I have. I felt that. Um, even a long time ago when I was a kid, I remember feeling this toward God. Um, back in 1992, my uh, younger brother, Kyle, um, was diagnosed with a rare form of pediatric cancer when he was two years old. Uh, called neuroblastoma. And I remember watching as that all unfolded. As, as a kid, I was about eight or nine years old. And I remember watching as the treatments just ravaged his body. And then he went through radiation and he went through chemotherapy and he went through a bone marrow transplant. And this once insane, highly energetic kid, um, you know, just his body was wasting away. And, and sadly, a little after a year after Kyle was diagnosed with, with this cancer, um, he lost that battle with cancer and he passed away. Um, but the reason I share this story is that for a brief season in that year, um, Kyle was in remission and, and the cancer was gone. And so we had this kind of like summer of 1993 uh, where Kyle was cancer free. And I remember playing with Kyle a lot and we were outside and it's, it was Chicago and it was the summertime and it, it was very humid outside. And so we'd be playing outside and we'd go inside and we'd come back outside and we had this door that went from the kitchen to the garage. And because we as kids were terrible about shutting the door to the outside and my parents would get frustrated, like, hey, we're not air conditioning the whole neighborhood, you know? They installed this like hydraulic thing that would automatically shut the door. And so we're playing and I remember us being by the door one time and, and Kyle's hand was by where the hinges were of the door and that hydraulic door shut and it, and it just sheared off the tip of one of his fingers. And he was bleeding and, and he was crying and, and my dad grabbed him and, and, and took care of him. And I remember I was standing there and, and, <laughs> and I started crying. And my mom was like, are you okay? Are you hurt? I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm fine. She's like, did you do that to him? Is that why you're, you're crying? I was like, no, no, I didn't do that. I was like, I'm just, I just, I, and I said, why do all the bad things have to happen to Kyle? Why is God allowing all of these bad things to happen to Kyle? Why can't he allow some of them to happen to me? And I just remember feeling this frustration about that. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of frustration of like, God, why this? Why are you doing it this way? I can think of a dozen other ways where you could move and, and make this whole situation so much better. And we just grow frustrated. And listen, I think to a certain extent that frustration is normal. I think it can be good as we kind of honestly process what we're going through but I don't think we should stay there. I don't think we should stay there, and I don't think Martha stayed there either. 
She brought her frustration to Jesus. She was honest about it. But listen, look how Jesus responds to her. What does he say to her? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. In the midst of her frustration, Jesus reminds her of who he is. And as Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, what Jesus is not simply saying is, I have the power to raise people from the dead. That's not exactly what Jesus is saying, although that's certainly true. What Jesus is saying is that life and resurrection are so intimately tied with who Jesus is as the Son of God and the creator of the universe that right now, even if you're listening to this and you don't believe in Jesus or you haven't submitted your life to Jesus as the king of your life and you're breathing oxygen through your mouth right now, it's because of Jesus. And if you have a hope one day of a resurrected future with him reigning as king of the new heavens and the new earth, then then that's because of who Jesus is. He is the resurrection and the life. And so Martha, in this mode of frustration, approaches Jesus and he reminds her of who he is and, and, and draws her to this place of faith. Moving from a place of frustration to faith in verse 27, look at how she responds again. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And again, we might not understand God's plan in our lives, And it might be painful, and it might be confusing, and we might be experiencing deep frustration. But the more we fix our eyes on our circumstances, and on this plan we don't understand, and on the pain that we're going through, the more our hearts will fill with frustration. And so would we, in the midst of a confusing and painful and frustrating season, would we fix our eyes on Jesus and instead find that our hearts will be filled with faith and and, and endurance and perseverance so that even when we just don't get it, we can trust, we can trust, we can trust in God's good purposes in our lives. Listen, I get God's plan um, will be painful, It can be confusing sometimes. It can be frustrating. But even when we don't understand it, we can trust his purpose. And so as we look at the second half of the story, I want us just to draw three truths, three truths that I see uh, unfold in the latter half of this story that I think will help us to build our trust, to build our trust in him, even when we don't understand God's plan. And so look at verse 28 now. In verse 28, Martha just finished talking with Jesus. And so when she had said this, She then went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here, rabbi is here, and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. And so Mary goes, and the people who were mourning with Mary overheard this, and they run with her. Verse 32, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Where have we heard that before, right? Mary and Martha clearly having some conversations about what Jesus could have done a little bit differently. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now listen here. That verb in the Greek text for deeply moved, a better way of understanding that verb or of translating it is outraged outraged. Jesus was outraged, not just deeply moved. In that moment, as he saw people weep over this death, he was not just, he was, he was angry. He was angry. 
in verse 34. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. In verse 35, Jesus wept. He wept. Verse 36, so the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Here's the first thing I want us to see, the first truth I want us to cling to to help us uh, build our trust, even when we don't understand God's plan. It's this, God hates our pain. God hates our pain. He hates the pain that you're going through. He is not unmoved by it. Listen, Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five, 35, the shortest verse in the entire Bible, but so much power there. Um, why did he weep? Why did he cry? Did he cry because he was sad that his friend Lazarus was dead? That doesn't make any sense if that's true. He knew he was going to die, so he didn't cry because of that. Now, remember what I had said about that one verb for deeply moved, that he was outraged. He was angry. He was angry, moved to the point of tears. That's how outraged he was. What was he outraged about, though? Some commentators think he was outraged at the people who were weeping, that they just didn't get it. And so he was like, why don't these people get it? But I don't think that's the case, though. Because so often when you see Jesus around people who needed him, people who were lost, people who were broken, the the common refrain is oftentimes Jesus looked out on them with compassion. And so to believe that the character of Christ is going to be consistent in this moment, I'm I'm sure he was compassionate toward those people, but, but, but he was outraged and he wept. And so why was he, what was he outraged at? Listen, I I think, I think it's this. Jesus was outraged at death. He was angry at the pain and the sorrow and the suffering and the difficulty that death brings with it. Because death was never part of the plan. And here we have Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, the one who was there in the very, very beginning, by whose power all of this world was created. And he's there amidst his creation with his closest friends, And he's there in the midst of death wreaking havoc on his creation. And he hates it. He absolutely hates it. A couple truths that we have to hold in tension as we engage with with pain and suffering and God's plan as it unfolds in our lives is, first of all, um, God is sovereign king. That is his identity. And so because he is sovereign king, he is able to use the brokenness and fallenness and pain we experience in this world. He is able to use it in such a way where where for those who love him, all things work together for their good. Romans 8, 28. So many of us are familiar with this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And by good, I don't mean some sort of storybook ending where you're going through a difficult season and eventually God's going to give you the job of your dreams and the spouse of your dreams and the car of your dreams. That's not what the good here is. The good here is is to be formed more and more day after day into the identity of Jesus Christ and to have your heart more in tune, a, a deeper love for God and God alone. That's the good. He's working all things together. And God is sovereign king, and he can take whatever you're going through, and he can use it for that end. He can. He can. He can. He can. Everyone say, he can. He can. But 
we have to hold that truth in tension with this reality that the current state of the world is not how God intended it to be. And so while he might be sovereign king, God did not intend this world to be the broken, fallen, chaotic, awful world that it is. And we don't do ourselves a moment of of service when we try to survey the landscape of this chaotic, dark, painful world and try to make sense of it and draw purpose out of it. There is no comfort there. But there is comfort in knowing that the God of this universe hates your pain. He sees it. And he weeps along with you in your pain. Writer of Hebrews says we have a great high priest who who sympathizes with us in our weakness. He knows the temptations we go through. He knows the hardships we go through. God is not so far off that he is not unmoved by this. In fact, God is moved. He hates your pain so much that he is moved by it. Look at verse 38. He's moved to do something by it. Then Jesus deeply moved again, outraged again. He came to the tomb and it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, I don't know why they refer to Lazarus as the dead man now. Like, you know, like, it's Lazarus, right? The dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he's been dead for four days. And then Jesus said this to her, look, verse 40. Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God, you might not understand my plan, but I'm going to do something amazing. And if you just believed, you would see the glory of God and what I'm about to do. And so they, they listened to him, yeah, verse 41. And they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So not only does God hate our pain, but listen, here's another important truth I think that is uh, really important for us to cling to when we don't understand God's plan and we're wrestling with the confusion and the frustration and the pain. It's this, that right now, God's not yet doesn't mean never. God's not yet doesn't mean never. And even though Jesus in this story delayed his work, it did not mean he was going to deny his helping hand to these people, to his friends that he loved so much. That just because God is delaying doesn't mean he's denying his sovereign hand in your life. And just because you're waiting on the Lord right now, and maybe God seems silent in your waiting and in your pain, it doesn't mean that he's absent. And perhaps before God does something big for you and through you, what God is cultivating right now, he's he's doing something in you and he's working in your heart. And you might've thought of a, a dozen ways that God could have come through right now and provided and changed your circumstance, but maybe, just maybe, that God, according to his infinite wisdom, is saying not yet, or he's saying no to something because he's gonna say yes to something far, far better for you. And maybe this moment in your life, this season of loss, this season of chaos, a season of maybe despair. And maybe this is the season that God needed you to go through in order to do the new thing that he wants to do in and through you. 
that in order to do this new thing, to create this new thing, that God had to allow you to go through something and say, not yet, not yet, wait, wait, and allow things to die in your heart and in your life in order for something new to come to life. Listen, God never wastes our waiting. And perhaps his not yet to something is, is, is a yes to something far better as we wait and trust his good purpose. God's not yet doesn't necessarily mean never. And we might not get it right now, but as we look back on what God has been doing in our lives, would we be able to see him paint this beautiful picture of redemption, a testimony to those around us? And perhaps we need this last truth to really be able to lean into that reality, and it's this, and it's very simple. God's ways are higher than our ways. They are. God's ways are higher than our ways. Look at verse 43. So when he had said these things, he, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Like, isn't that amazing? Like Jesus just raised a dead man to life. Like his most amazing miracle, here it is in John 11. You know, and as Jesus was about to finally and fully set his face toward Calvary, toward the cross, toward his death, toward suffering, toward the crucifixion, here he gives us a little preview, a little preview of what he can do that Jesus says and proves once and for all, I have power over death. Me, in this whole time, this was my plan. My ways are higher than your ways. And you might not understand my plan, but look at what I'm gonna do. Isaiah 55, eight. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are, my way, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. My ways are higher. Man, my ways are better. Mary and Martha, they wanted something good. They wanted healing. They wanted healing for their brother. They had seen it time and time again. That's what they wanted. But Jesus wanted something better for them. He wanted his closest friends, the people, listen, look here. He wanted the people he loved the most to experience something that no one else in the history of mankind had experienced up until that point. But in order to experience that, they had to go through pain. They had to go through confusion. They had to go through frustration. Do you see it? Do you get it? He didn't want them to just experience a healing. He wanted them to experience a resurrection. He wanted them to see their once dead brother come out of that tomb. Listen, might it be that God is not right now meeting your expectations because the entire time he's been planning on exceeding them? And I get that that's so hard in the moment to believe as you wait, because waiting's hard. Waiting is, is sometimes just the worst, especially when we have to wait longer than we expected to wait, but we have to believe and trust that God will not waste our waiting. And as we wait, even though we might not understand God's plan, God's intention was for us to never decipher exactly what he was doing or how he's gonna do something or how things are gonna unfold. 
but that as we wait, we are called simply to do two things. We are called to believe that his ways are higher than ours. And we might not get why he's doing what he's doing right now, but then also trust. We're simply called to trust his purpose. I don't have to understand God's plan in order to trust his purpose and trust his purpose that he is working all things together, everything we're going through in this room, as a church, in the world, like he's working it all together for the good of those that love him, forming us more and more, day by day, season by season, trial after trial, into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, for our good and for his glory. We can trust his purpose. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. And... Um, we thank you for your word. Lord, we've gone through a really hard year this past year. And as we wrap up this series, we have taken such comfort and such joy and such delight in looking at you, Jesus. Lord, as our eyes are fixed on our circumstances that are ever-changing, it's easy to just grow confused and frustrated respond sinfully. And I just, I pray, Lord, that we would repent of that right now. As a people, we would repent of that and that we would fix our eyes on you. We were never designed or created to figure out exactly how all of this would unfold. We were created to worship. We were created to be dependent on you. And so I pray that we would turn away from trying to figure out all the details and would we just in this moment rest? Would we rest knowing that, that we are securely in the arms of the creator of this universe, one who is watching over us, who cares deeply for us, who loves us, who hates the pain that we're going through? But you are the good shepherd. You are the light of this world. You are the resurrection. And we have a hope that even though we go through pain and suffering now, that there will be a day where there will be no tears, no pain, no crying, no suffering. As we live with you and, and, and worship you and rule and reign with you in a resurrected future, God, we, we fix our eyes on that and we rest in the present knowing that you will accomplish what you set out to accomplish. We pray this in your name, Jesus.